you have your Bibles, and I certainly hope that you do, I would love for you to join me in God's Word in the book of Genesis as we continue our sermon series on the names of God that were revealed to Abraham and particularly his wife Sarah during that time period of their lives. So we're not doing all of the names of God in the Old Testament, but remember what we talked about last week is that the names of God are important for us because God gives us an insight or a glimpse into his character. So we get to see a, a new dimension of who he is as he speaks to people about this is who I am, this is my name for you. And as we looked last week, we saw the first one was the word Lord, I am the Lord. And we talked about what that meant for our lives, not only in Abraham's life, the Old Testament, but how we connected that to the New Testament to see that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We, we saw that and that lordship issue being so very important for us because for God to be Lord of our lives means that, that he is directing our lives from a position that's very different. He's never changing, so he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we, we talked about what that meant for us. This week we're going to look at the covenant that God made with Abraham and see how he revealed himself to be the shield for Abraham. So that's, that's kind of our, our, our word this week. The name this week, I should say, is shield. So last week it was Lord. This week it is shield. So we're going to read Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to read the first six verses this week of Genesis chapter 15. And this is what is called the Abrahamic covenant, okay? So let's begin reading in verse one. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I'm childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram continued, continue, look, you've given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, this one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky, count the stars you're able to count them. Then he said to them, your offspring will be that numerous. Abraham believed God, or Abram believed God, I should say, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Let me go ahead and make my caveat that I made last week. I'm going to say Abraham. It's Abram. It's, Ab it's all the same guy. So just forgive me if I go interchangeable on that one. Uh, we think of him as Abraham because God changed his name. So as we begin thinking about this, we see immediately that God initiated a covenant with Abraham. Well, what is a covenant? A covenant is an oath-bound promise. Notable covenants in the Old Testament kind of include four different ones that we, we normally think about, and they're normally centered around God's relationship with four different men. In the beginning, we saw God's covenant with man. That's the Adamic covenant. You know, what we saw in the Garden of Eden, what God said to Adam, it, you get to do all of this, but there's one thing you can't do. Don't touch this, this tree, don't eat this tree. And, and if you'll do this, I'm gonna bless you. And then we see that there's another one in the Noahic covenant. Remember when Noah comes off the ark, uh, there, there's a covenant that God's trying to build something for, for his family. And then we get to the Abrahamic covenant right here. And we're going to get later, if we kept reading, the Mosaic covenant. The Mosaic covenant is the law given to us. 
And, and it's incredible that we see this because these are God saying, I'm oath bound to you to do these things. I'm going to do it. Now, I want you to remember that there, there was one that was still yet to come in this, and it's the best one yet, the best covenant ever. Because God, as we talked about last week, is always working to build a people for himself. That, that's very incredible that we think about it like that, and it's very important that you understand that. If you don't understand that, then you miss the Great Commission. Why does God care if we witness? Why does God care if, if people are getting saved? Should we be happy enough with the fact that we've, I mean, we've got a good group of people here. We've got enough people to do what we need to do at the church. Is, is that the answer ever? It can't be because God wants his family built out. God's always seeking people to be saved. And later in Jeremiah in the Old Testament, God would say, I will make a new covenant with you. But it's gonna be different. Because the sign of the old covenant became that they were going to circumcise the males. And God said, I'm gonna do something different. I'm gonna do it on their hearts. What he's saying is it's, it's gonna be a, a heart change. It's not gonna be an outward appearance. It's not going to be that we do all of these things all of a sudden to please God anymore by keeping the law because we can't keep the law. And God says, I'm going to give them a new heart. And you may remember that Jesus said on the night when he broke bread with the disciples at the last supper, this is the new covenant, my blood, which is shed for you. What's the covenant? God's doing it again. God sent Christ to die for us and he spills his blood for us and we're part of that covenant. And so it's amazing that we see that and what we've just seen is God's promise to do several things with Abram. And if, if you kind of paid attention to that, there are about three from this passage of scripture and one more a verse later. He said, I'm going to be your reward. I'm gonna give you a great reward. It's gonna be great. And Abram immediately begins to question and says, I mean, you're gonna do all this stuff, but I don't even have anybody to give my stuff to. I, I, don't, even have a, I don't even have a child. So a guy, Eliezer, who's one of my servants, who's a, a slave in our household, is gonna get everything that I have. He's, he's the chief servant. I'm gonna give him everything. I, I have nothing to give anyone. Or I should say no one to give it to. Rather, than, He had stuff. And the Lord says, come outside for a minute because you're going to have an heir. Well, that's big news because this is an old man he's talking to. Your reward's gonna be great. You can't even give me a reward. No, I'm gonna give you an heir. And then he says, they're, they're, the descendants of your family are going to be more numerous than all the stars in the sky. Could you count the stars? Maybe in Nashville. With enough light pollution, it gets hard to see them, doesn't it? But any of you, how many, come on, go on and admit, how many of you grew up in the country? Raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about. Where there's not lights, you can't count the stars. They're innumerable, aren't they? You, you can't do it. And then the fourth thing that he said is actually in verse seven, he says, I'm gonna give you a land for you to have as a possession. So I'm gonna be your reward. You'll have an heir. There'll be more numerous descendants than you could count for stars. And I'm going to give you land. I mean, it's a great reward that he's about to get. That's the covenant that God's making with him. But before he got there, God said to him, I'm going to tell you something, I am your shield. Now this word would have had 
some special meaning. If we had read through chapter 14, and I encourage you to do it sometime because it's, it's really a, a great story about how God used Abraham to rescue his nephew Lot. Uh, Lot was living, as we know, uh, in the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you kind of read through the scriptures a little bit later, you find that that city was destroyed. And this is previous to that. And there were four kings that came from outside the area and raided that area and took everyone captive and took all of the possessions. And when word got back to Abram, he took off, I think the Bible said with like, it was 300 plus, maybe 318, 19 of his, of his armed men. And they went after them and they rescued everybody. Brought everybody back, all the possessions back. And so right after that instant, it's, it's maybe plausible that, as some have said, that Abram was thinking, I'm in trouble here. I just went after these four kings and what they did. And these nations could come after me and I, I don't have any covering. And God says, I am your shield. You don't need it. You don't need a shield because I am your shield. God is saying, I'm going to be your protector. Now, this is a metaphor that's so powerful for us, and it would have had a powerful meaning for Abraham. It's God saying, no matter what happens, I've got your back. I got you. You know, when you're a kid and somebody says, I got you, it inspires confidence, doesn't it? I remember changing schools as a, a middle schooler. We didn't call it that back then. Did any of you go to junior high school? Did any of you have the special privilege of being a seventh, eighth, and ninth grader in junior high school? That was me, right? Old school, huh? So when you're a seventh grader, a brand new school, didn't know anybody, there's this kid that went to our church. He was in ninth grade. I looked up to him, he was, he's a freshman. He has his learner's permit. He can drive. I saw him one day and he was like, how are you doing? I'm okay. A little overwhelmed. I got you. That inspires confidence. I have a friend. I have somebody who's looking out for me. The Lord is saying, I've got your back. I will be your protector. And everything around you is, is going to be great. I've got your reward coming. And in the midst of that, you're going to have some problems, but I will protect you in every one of them because nothing you're going to face will be too big for me. I am your shield. You don't even need one. I got you. Well, this is a foundational aspect of our understanding of our relationship to the Lord as well. Because what kind of protection can I find in the Lord? Well, there's perhaps no other book in the Bible that uses this metaphor more eloquently and more frequently than the book of Psalms. The Psalms invoke this promise over and over again for us. Can I just read you a few of them and, and they'll be on the screen as we go, but Psalm 3, 3. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I mean, a beautiful picture, isn't it? That God is encompassing us and he is a shield around us for everything that we're facing. Next one, Psalm 512. For you, Lord, bless the righteous one. You surround him with favor like a shield. So the Lord's favor is even a shield. You say, well, how could God's favor be a shield? There are times in your life where God's favor opens up doors for you. I mean, it just, it happens. There's times in your life where God's favor takes the brunt of something off of you. 
God's favor can get you in places that no man could ever take you. It says God's favor encompasses the righteous like a shield. Psalm 18.2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock where I seek refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. What a beautiful picture. He's the rock, the deliverer of everything that comes against us. He is a shield that is strong and it, it can't be overcome. The stronghold isn't defeated. It says when we find ourselves in the Lord, Psalm 91.4 says this, he will cover you with his feathers and you will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. Well, the protective shield of a mother bird sitting in the nest. That's different, isn't it? Don't you love how God can be just as tough as you need him to be and just as gentle as you need him to be? It's both. It's both. What does a mother do? Protects those babies in the nest and shields them from the storm with the wings so that they stay warm and safe. I mean, it's, it's everything. It's you're my rock, you're my fortress, my deliverer, my stronghold. And then the tender, caring compassion of the Lord to know just what we need and to be our shield. Psalm 119, 14. You are my shelter and my shield. I put my hope in your word. When he says, you're my shelter and my shield, he says, it causes me to look to your word because of what you do, and there's my hope. It's not in anything else. I'm going to put it there. If you think about it, throughout the scripture, something amazing happens that the Lord says, and it, it might be something you've heard before, but I wanna remind you of it again this morning. You know, there are three distinct groups of vulnerable populations that the Lord talks about protecting all the time, doesn't he? You could probably name them. Widows, orphans, the resident alien who dwells among you, the, the outsider, the foreigner who comes to live on your land. The Bible says that if we mistreat any of those people, that we're in danger of judgment because God says they're vulnerable populations and I'm going to protect them. I will protect them. And so if the Lord is interested in protecting vulnerable populations, that means that when we are vulnerable, he's interested in protecting us too. He does that for us. Well, what's a shield used for? Obviously, in the ancient world, a shield was, was used from a combat standpoint to protect yourself from an enemy. The shield that, that most scholars believe this one is talking about because there's kind of two different words for shield in the Hebrew language. There's one that we see like Solomon had shields that he made and he cast them out of fine metal and they're huge, right? It's a little bit different. This is probably the smaller wood shield that would be covered with some leather type thing that you'd wear on your arm to stop a blow. So when you think about this, it's obvious a protection from enemies. And the same would be true for us today, that the Lord is our shield as he protects us from enemies. He does that for Abraham over and over and over again. Every time somebody thinks they're about to get one up on Abraham, God uses something so that Abram comes out smelling like a rose. He comes away with stuff and people just keep blessing him. God is giving him favor. But there's also protection during 
difficulties and vulnerabilities. They're, they're just times you don't feel like you can fight. You don't feel like you're equal to the task. You feel like you're a little bit run down and the Lord says, I got you. It's okay. You, you feel like you're sick, you're facing an illness. Those types of difficulties, the Lord is our shield. But he also protects us from spiritual attacks as well. In the New Testament, book of Ephesians chapter six, Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God. And as part of that, he says, in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. When you think about that, it's, it's a pretty incredible picture, isn't it? To, to think about the fact that just like an archer, and, and I mean, I, I honestly, you, you watch these movies and stuff and you, you think about fighting in medieval days and, you know, I gotta be honest with you, death from afar by a bullet seems a lot better than somebody standing outside where they can see you and lighting a match or a torch and, and lighting an arrow and lobbing that thing over at you, you know, like here come the flaming arrows. That's a picture that Paul gives us of how our enemy tries to attack us. What does he do? Flaming arrows from hell sent towards you to try to discourage you, try to bring a spiritual attack on you, try to get you to doubt God. And what does the Bible say? We have the shield of faith. Well, faith in what? Faith in faith? No. Faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross, that we've been saved, bought with a price, and our faith placed in Jesus Christ allows us then to extinguish all the arrows of the enemy that he would throw at us. It, it, it's not that we're doing it, but God is saying, you've got the faith that you've put in Christ and that will extinguish anything that will come against you. That means that when we're tempted, we can use the shield of faith. That thing that is in your life like it is in my life, that besetting sin that just never wants to go away, that Satan loves to bring up and try to get you to fall back into over and over and over again. It actually can be extinguished by faith. But the scripture did say to take that shield of faith up in every situation, to use it. What's interesting because Abraham is really a, a beautiful picture of faith, isn't he? We talked a little bit about this last week. As he begins to trust the Lord, he obediently does what the Lord says. But verse six in this passage of scripture gives us something incredible that I want us to see again. It said, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord. Now, so far in his life, Abram has believed the Lord twice, right? We, we studied that last week in, in chapter 12 when it said, get up from here and, and go on to the land I will show you. And he does that, but something has changed here because the Bible didn't say that he believed the Lord and it was credited unto him as righteousness. Then it says it now. When God showed him the promise of everything that was to come and he begins to live in that, he starts to believe that God can do the impossible and that God can do something in his life that no one could do, that he's incapable of, of doing on his own. He can't have a child with his wife. They are past the point of childbearing years in their marriage. It's not gonna work. And God says, I got you. We're going to make this happen. 
And it said that he believed God. And so it's interesting to notice that salvation came when he was obedient, but now it was out of his belief in what God had said. And God's saying some big things. And it's a great question for us this morning to ask ourselves, are are we able to believe the big things that God says? Are we the kind of, of people who put our hope in his word and that becomes the shield around us as, as God is uh, providing his covering over us that we begin to believe what he says and to live out what he says so that we believe that because ultimately that's what the gospel is. The gospel's impossible, isn't it? How can we be saved? We can't. Not by ourselves. Can't do anything on our own. And yet God says, that we have a problem. And, and a lot of us don't believe that we really have a problem. We don't believe that we have a sin problem. We think, I mean, I'm not that bad. But it's not whether you're bad or good because the Bible actually says that nobody's good. It says that everybody's bad. Each running away to their own, their own path and, and trying to, to circumvent what God has said to do their own thing. But it's not a comparison between you and anyone else. Do you believe what God says? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, none who seeks after God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that salvation is a gift? Or are you still trying to earn it? Some of you understand that it's a gift, but you won't take it and and open it for yourself. And I say this every year at Christmas. It's like when somebody gives you a gift, you haven't received the gift until you've opened it out of the box and started to use it. If you wrap me a present for Christmas and give it to me and I say, thank you, thank you so much. And I put it in the closet, but I never open it. I haven't received the gift. I can tell you about the gift. I can tell you what it sounds like when I rattle it. I can tell you the dimensions of the gift. But there has to be a moment in time where you receive the gift. You open it up and, and you take it. And the Lord says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is everlasting life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And as we talked about last week, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Do you believe those things? Because that's the gospel. And I want you to see what happened in Abraham's life. It said that he believed that and God credited it to him. A credit. A credit to your account is a good thing, isn't it? A debit to your account when you meant to do it was a good thing maybe. But it certainly could be a bad thing, right? Because it can suck that account dry. God saw Abraham's belief that he believed him. And the Bible says he credited that to him. He didn't earn that. He he didn't become more righteous. It said he was credited righteousness. See, when we come to know Christ, the righteousness of Christ covers us. So no longer does God see Jeff. He doesn't see Carl. He doesn't see Wanda. He doesn't see Charlie. He doesn't see Alex. And see Anne, he sees Christ. That's an amazing thing because if he just saw us for who we are, what would he see? 
people who were afflicted by sin, people who were constantly falling off the wagon, so to speak, you know, who, who can't stay on the straight and narrow. But instead, what does he see? The righteousness of Christ applied to our lives because we have believed in Christ Jesus and given our lives to him. That's what Abraham did. I get it, Lord. I see what you're doing and I believe you will do it. Well, do you believe what God says? Do you believe that you could be made new this morning by giving your life to Christ? Because that's what God says, that you could be cleansed from your sin. Do you believe you can have eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord? Because that's the invitation this morning that God gives to us. Just like he was with Abraham, he says, I'm willing to be your shield and I'll make your reward great. Well, what kind of reward? There were some tangible things in the moment, but there was an eternal reward that was waiting for Abraham. You know, as we think about this passage of scripture and what the Lord says, I think it's very important that we don't miss any of these names of God because in their own time and in their own way, they begin to bless our lives right when we need it. And maybe this morning you walked in and you're saying, uh, sign me up for that shield thing because I need it. That's okay. God didn't say it like joking around. It's okay for us to come into a place and say, I, I need that. I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm hanging by a thread. I, I feel like I'm vulnerable this morning, Lord. I feel like I, I don't have what it takes. I feel like I'm up against something that's bigger than I can handle. And God says, yeah, I got that. That's why I am your shield. That's what I was talking about. That's what I wanted you to know. I am your shield. I got you. You need me to run. I mean, you need to run into me and be, let me be your stronghold in that place that is defensible from every harm that might come to you. Come to me. I got that. You need me to be gentle with you and just cover you up for a little while while you rest. I got that. Years ago, we had a man come speak here for a renewal conference. And we, we read a little book that he wrote uh, during that time period. Uh, and, and it was a, a great reset for us spiritually. One of the things that he said in an, another book that he wrote that, that always struck me so interesting is, I mean, he's advocating for us to have devotional times with the Lord, right? I mean, that, that's an important thing. We should do it. And he said, one of the things that people ask me from time to time is, I, I was having my devotional this morning and I fell asleep. And I just feel all guilty about it. And, and I'll never forget what he said. Totally changed my way of thinking about the Lord. He said, if, if you're a parent reading your child a book at night and they fall asleep, what do you do? You just kind of let them sleep. You don't, hey, we're gonna finish the book. Wake up. You don't do that, do you? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And he said, now I'm not advocating you take a nap every time you're having your quiet time. But I am saying, don't you think God knows you were tired and he's okay to let you rest in his arms? 
Guys, he's our shield. He knows exactly what you need this morning. And maybe as you faced this week or you faced the uncertainty of something in your life, you just felt like you're kind of hanging by that thread and, and you feel like there's nothing that can, can help you with that. And the Lord is saying, I, I got you. Do you believe that? I think a lot of us believe it in the big picture side of it. But when it comes down to it, in the day to day, we feel like we have to get ourselves. I, I gotta have my own back on this. Nobody coming for me. There's nobody gonna help me. I, I gotta do this. I have to do this. That's the American way. We just do our own thing. We pull ourselves up. We just kind of soldier on through these things and it just doesn't work. We're all gonna face things that are way bigger than we can handle. They're outside of our expertise. They're outside of our abilities and the Lord says, I am your shield. But he also says, when you trust me as your shield, I'm your reward. What kind of reward? Well, the reward that Abram got was great and just like, uh, just like the reward he received, the reward we receive is great. We have salvation. We have Jesus Christ himself. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Think about what God has given us. He's given us the assurance of our salvation, that we can know that we've been saved, that we can know that we have a home in glory that he's preparing for us right now. We, we know that our reward is great. And that doesn't even touch the things that God allows us to do and to shape and to experience here on earth because we're not living just in heaven. All the promises aren't just for out there, they're here as well. And as God goes before us, he is our shield. And think about the inheritance that he's given us in Christ. And all those things will outlast any kind of inheritance that you're going to get on earth. Anything that you have right now, it will be somebody else's one day. Or maybe your kids will do the ultimate injustice. They'll look at your stuff and say, I don't like any of this, and they throw it away. That's what inheritance does. It passes. But not the inheritance of knowing Christ and having him as our eternal reward. That never fades. So I'm going to ask us this morning to just bow for prayer and we're just gonna be quiet before the Lord for a few minutes. I wanna start by just asking you this question. Are you saved? Has there ever been a time in your life where you've received forgiveness for your sins and you know that you've been saved? That you believe those big things that God's asking us to do. If you haven't, why not? What would keep you from being saved today? Our prayer is that you would come to know the living Lord Jesus Christ, who was and is and is to come. We've been praying for you to know the Lord and we want you to know the Lord. 
And so right now, if that's your heart's desire and you've never been saved, I want to invite you just to to pray this prayer for the first time with me. And you can just say it quietly in your heart. You don't have to say it out loud, but you could repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm asking you to save me. I believe you're God's son who died on the cross for my sin. And I admit those sins freely to you. I've broken your word. I've transgressed your law. Forgive me. I believe you're the Christ, the son of the living God who died on the cross and rose again. And I'm asking you to save me today. And as I believe, give me your righteousness. Cover me today. The Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you just did that today, I believe the scripture is true. I believe those big questions are answered in Christ and I believe that you've been saved. And in a moment as we stand to sing, I'm going to ask you to do something very bold. I'm going to ask you to make that a declaration of your faith in Christ very public for everyone to see. And you say, why do we do that? Because Jesus told us to. He said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. But I want to turn our attention now to those of you who are in Christ. Are you feeling overwhelmed? Do you feel vulnerable? He's your shield. Would you cry out to the Lord today and thank him for being your shield and ask him to just cover you right now? If it's the strong place that you need, run to it. If it's the comfort that you need, find it. And maybe like me, you've just felt a little out of sorts the last couple of weeks with everything that's been going on. That's okay. There's a time for that too, isn't it? I'm gonna ask you to do something that I ask you to do from time to time. Nobody's looking around, it's just me. But if you would just say, Pastor, pray for me because I need the shield that God promises he is to me. Would you just slip your hand up in the air? Amen. All around the room. Amen. It's a lot of us, isn't it? Father, I thank you for the vulnerability that was shown in this room just a moment ago and the humility of believers who said, I need you to be my shield. God, thank you that you've given that to us. Thank you that you are our shield. And as we run to you, protect us from the evil one. Protect us from situations and uncertainties. Lord, protect us from harm and adversaries. We're just asking you to do that this morning and to strengthen us. Cover us, Lord, as a shield. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.